Welcome to week four of the What Must I Do to Be Saved series, subtitled One God Salvation Series. Um, if you notice, your uh, handout sheet is a little bit thinner than usual. Brother Tex, uh, all of his notes, all of his studies, the commentary he was writing all disappeared at one quick crash of a computer. <laughs> And uh, so uh, what you have is a, a few of the notes. It's not the full package. Uh, I have that right here, uh, which I'd like to have to make sure if this doesn't crash, I've got something to go to. And I'll make sure next week you guys get this, the full list, okay? It's in the cloud. It's, yeah, I don't use the cloud. but um, So anyway, that's the reason your package is a little bit smaller than usual. Um, it ranges on the just and the unjust. Life happens. It just... All you can do is love God and keep going. So let's start with prayer for uh, each of the sessions. I uh, want to make sure we're praying specifically for each of the speakers, the content delivered, that the will of God uh, occurs in each session, for uh, for the offerings. And Brother Ash, thank you for being in here to take up offering and uh, for those in need of prayer. Lord, we, uh, we come before you just in a spirit of surrender. All our hearts, all our minds are members everything we are that it might fall in complete subjection complete surrender unto you we offer our God, ourselves as an instrument of righteousness and we ask you lord from the crown of our heads to the sole of our feet that you god would create in every one of us a clean heart that you god would renew in every one of us a right spirit that you god would wash us afresh in your blood create in us i pray O oh god a clean heart and renew O oh god in each one of us a right spirit let us be wholly sanctified and purified unto you in every measure and every stature every step we take i pray for every person that's speaking tonight that you would anoint the lips, that you would anoint the tongue, that you, God, would lead and guide according to your perfect and holy will. You know, Lord, the beginning and the ending. You know the uprising and downsetting. You know, God, every strength and every failure of every person. You know where we're faithful and where we're not quite so faithful. And I ask you to speak through those that are in that position, God, of ministering in each one of these sessions tonight. Have your perfect way and have your perfect will. Bless the offerings that are given. And God, bring help and strength to those in time of need, those in need of physical healing and spiritual healing. And everyone say, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Our opening text uh, shared last week, this is our opening text for the remainder of the series, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 1 through 9. Now these are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord your God commanded to teach you, that you might do them in the land whither you go to possess it, that thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command thee, thou and thy son and thy son's son, all the days of thy life, and that thy days may be prolonged. Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be well with thee, and that ye may increase mightily as the Lord God of thy fathers hath promised thee in the land that floweth with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, 
and when thou risest up, and thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes, and thou shalt write them upon the post of thy house and on thy gates. So we're going to start tonight with the very topic you were left hanging with when we met last. Why is Jesus called the Son of God and Son of Man, capital S in each one, if he alone is God Almighty? First, we'll start with Son of Man, both uppercase, lowercase s, and Son of Man, and what do these mean? There are 197 scriptures in the Bible that say the exact phrase, Son of Man. 93 of these were in the book of Ezekiel. And if you study it out, is about a hundred at the hundred mark is what he says it to the prophets, and then there's the others. So there's about a dividing line there. An example is Ezekiel chapter two verse six, and thou son of man, be not afraid of them, neither be afraid of their words, though briars and thorns be with thee, and thou dost dwell among scorpions. Be not afraid of their words, nor be dismayed at their looks, though they be a rebellious house. We must talk just a few minutes about the voice of God, and then we'll move forward. Because just as all those occurrences of God speaking to the prophets of old, that direct connection, son of man, son of man, son of man, that happened then, and it still happens today. This series as a whole is about relationship with God, our health, our commitments to God, that we might, what K-N-O-W, know God that we brothers and sisters might intimately and passionately know the Lord and that we furthermore might stay in love with God all the days of our lives because it's not just about the initiation of relationship but it's about the continuation of relationship that we may grow deeper and deeper in the Lord many through the years have expressed that they were not sure if God still speaks to his people anymore like he did in the Old Testament or the New Testament that he really speaks or that maybe it was just for those days, and maybe it wasn't quite so much for 2021. Anyone ever had that question, does God still speak? As a witness that God does still speak today, on Saturday, July 9th, 2016, there was a storm that came by here, and the church was without power. No power equals what? No alarm. A disciple had the honor to stay at church all night to guard the church that night, and it turned out to be an all-night altar of prayer and worship around the church up and down the driveways. There were no lights of men, no distractions from what man makes and creates, so the stars could be seen forever, and it was truly so majestic to endlessly see the glory of God. At one point, he was down the drive at Polaris, facing the highway and heard a voice say son of man what seest thou and that disciple said they're racing to the north and the south buying and selling giving and marrying giving marrying and giving in marriage and at that moment he looked back toward the church and the church could not be seen at all from the highway due to the no electricity the power outage that same time the voice said and the church shall be no more and he looked back toward the highway and saw the cars going to and fro with no thought that the church could not be seen any longer. And he heard, so shall it be in the last days when my bride is taken away. She will be no more, but they that remain will not lay it to heart until time is no more. Another time a disciple testified that in the four-year church right here at Truth, 
that it was downstairs. It was seen just as it is in the Bible. A trance, but the eyes are open, and all time seemed to stand still. And he heard that same voice say, Son of man, what seest thou? And that disciple saw clearly and said they're racing to the north and south, buying and selling, getting and giving, marrying and giving in marriage, but they know not the day or the hour or that the day of the Lord is nigh at hand. And here recently, October 16th, 2021, just last month, there was a disciple whom the Lord dearly loves who, while mowing the churchyard, was facing the north fence line. And it was as though all time stood still again. And he heard that same voice say, Son of man, what seest thou? And that disciple whom the Lord loves dearly said, All the leaves are broken and tattered and torn and destroyed. He saw no life, at least nothing healthy. But then he looked up to the heavens, and every leaf in the heights were healthy. There was no damage to the leaves in the heavens. And the Holy Ghost said, So is it, and so shall it be. Those are sure testimonies. And when someone asks, Does God still speak? There's a testimony that God does. God unmistakably speaks to his people the question that should be asked, not does God still speak, but does his creation listen for that still, small voice of God? 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 21 through 22. And he said, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains, and it break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. And the Lord was not, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. So for the next few minutes, this isn't in your notes. So it's something this morning, as I was meditating on this, God showed me. So I'm going to go into this part of the note, which you don't have. So if you want my copy when I'm done, there it is. So not to belabor this and discourse about the voice of God, but there is a necessity to share wisdom and counsel and a witness, a testimony. And brothers and sisters, a testimony that gives the Lord all glory is, is only good, meaning he alone is exalted. He alone is lifted up on high. And that the church in that testimony is strengthened in its resolve in the Lord and the things of God. That the church be bound in unity as one man, not backbiting, no accusing, condemning, not excusing those that some may hold or exalt high above others. Because there's no righteousness in accusing or excusing because then we become the judge. And if we're the judge, then we're in God's stead. And how wise is it for a man to punch himself? That's not wise. But we're the body. And if the body is attacking each other, then is not the same madness as a man punching himself? If the body bites and devours its own, this is the body fighting itself instead of the true enemy. The will of God is that the church would be united as one man, perfect unity and harmony. Revelation chapter 12, verse 11, And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of the testimony, and they loved not their lives unto death. This is a threefold scripture. The blood came from God, for it is his blood that purchased us. But the last two are dependent on the bride, on us, the sons and daughters of God, 
to testify because our word is testimony and to not let our flesh have any strong stronghold at all that the church may be holy and fully given to God in unity and in purpose. The word testimony in the Greek means evidence given and it means a witness. The issue, for lack of a better word, is in humanity, the flesh, and that's to say our stinking, rotten flesh because none of us have any flesh that's any worth anything at all. Okay, We're all dust to the ground. Our desires, our flesh desires, or over-the-top experiences, and the flesh desires to be held in high regard as some great thing. Those daydreams where you're seeing the clouds part and that great voice is speaking your name and everyone hears your name, or God has you walk on the water, or maybe you lay hands and God delivers someone, heals them from cancer, and then instantly the person is a spiritual superhero who is all of a sudden able to leap tall buildings with these super spiritual spidey senses to just finally tune into the Holy Ghost. You know, just feel this and that. Um, but all too often, the Lord does not do these great booming in the sky um, type epiphanies. He can and he does sometimes, but more often than anything, he withholds that so that we can have faith and trust in God alone without the necessity of a sign. And it's for our protection that God withholds so much from us. Because he could, he could come and, and part the clouds and, and then start bringing them in order and it be your name spelled in the heavens. God can do whatever he wants. But if he has to go to that extreme to get you to trust him and believe him, then where's our faith and trust in God? We're always chasing a sign. We're always chasing something. And it's not God's desire that we chase signs, that we seek him. So God withholds to protect us, primarily to protect us from ourselves, from self-destruction. Ever heard of self-inflicted injuries? Things where we do something and we've invoked it. You know, simple analogy, you receive a paycheck, maybe you don't pay your bills first, maybe you don't return your tithe first, and then you look and you're like, okay, well, I got my tithe taken care of, but the water bill's not because I went out to eat four times. You know what I mean? Self-inflicted. We can do things to invoke harm on ourselves if we're not wise stewards with the time and money and resources God gives us. That's extra. That wasn't in the notes. Um, every prophet in the Bible just spoke boldly. Thus saith the Lord. There was never a, a prophet in the Bible that said, I feel like God says this or I feel like God wants that. It was always a very, very definitive because they knew the voice of God and that's what's important for us is that we must know the voice of God. One sister had asked to be prayed for uh, because she wanted the gift of healing that whoever she prayed for and lay hands on, they just be healed. And, um, and the thought just instantly floods in how vain could a man or woman, adult or youth be if they had that, that every single person you prayed for, instant miracle. How vain could people get? And how many people would go to that person for healing and never offer a prayer to God? And what need would there be for fasting and intercession if they can just go to a person? That makes sense? So there's a decent order for everything. There's an inherent risk of man, woman, adult, or youth being glorified 
to some high level because what happens is then God has to be abased. I mean, there's no way two can be exalted at the highest height. Something has to come down. And if we exalt ourselves or man exalts man up high, then God is taking a secondary place. And that gets into the realms of idolatry. God will not share his glory with man or woman, adult or youth. Um, just through the years, we, we've just got to use that sound wisdom with our words and our actions. God does speak to his prophets, and he speaks through the body, but often God waits and is silent, and he conceals as he, or he conceals as he sees fit. We've got to know the voice of God to know, is it God speaking? Is it the accuser of the brethren speaking because he goes day and night looking for anything to try to sow? And we've got to know whether it be the flesh or the spirit. It's better for us to use less words than to utter words about a brother or sister that could possibly sow something that wasn't there. Because whatever we speak can be life or death. The choice of words we say, the how we say it, our countenance, expressions, the pitch, tone, inflection of our voice can make a difference. And every husband and wife can give credence to that because if you say something with the wrong tone to your wife, will you not get a look? In same turn, if the, if the other says something wrong, will, will there not be a look? It's that same. We've got to have that wisdom of words. So it goes back to the great commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. For if you do not want to be spoke against or accused or condemned by others, then, then don't do it. And if a brother or sister feel they are so spiritually in tune as to judge their brother, then does that mean someone more spiritual than you can do that to you? Do unto others you would have them do unto you. Does that make sense? Okay. There's no one at that place of high spirituality that we have the place to, to put our hands on God's anointed. Every thought of our minds has got to be pulling captivity to remove vanity and pride and arrogance. Because these don't exalt God, but they exalt the person, even in their own imagination. And without knowing it, that person can become a lowercase God in their own eyes and their own thoughts. So God can speak direct to you just as he does, did the prophets of old and the prophets today. And he can do whatever he pleases. God is God. There's no restrictions to God other than he cannot lie. That's the only thing I found God cannot do. But here's what the Holy Ghost was guiding us for these last few minutes here before we move forward. Is we as a people have to know the difference between the voice of man speaking into our lives the voice of the enemy trying to speak in, and the voice of our conscience, a conscience that seems to never take a break from speaking. A conscience can be good or evil, and that's a good study to do if you'd like to do a study sometime. And we must know the still, small voice of God. What wife does not clearly know the sound of her husband's voice? And if we be the bride of Christ, then we should clearly know the voice of the bridegroom. Not that the Lord said this sentence, but Brother Tex says this. It is better in this life to seek the gifts and calling that offer complete humility and abasing of self so that God alone is exalted in all things at all times and even more in the secret chambers of the person's mind and heart. Let's move forward. 
back to our notes, we see several places where God says man, and God also says son of man in the same scripture. As it is written, Job chapter 25, verse 6, how much less man that is a worm, and the son of man which is a worm. Numbers chapter 23, verse 19, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath God said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? <clears throat> the distinction between these is simple. Man refers to mankind, and son of man refers to that which is born of woman, speaking the realms of the natural communion between husband and wife. This is why there's no scriptures that refer to Adam as son of man, for there was no man before Adam. Adam is not the son of any man. He was the first man ever created. Genesis chapter 2, verse 21 and 22. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. Can you see this clearly, this picture? In the beginning, God created Adam of the dust of the ground and breathed life into him. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Verse 2, verse 18, he says, It's not good that a man should be alone. I'll make him a helpmeet for him. So in the preceding verse, God makes woman. But God not only put Adam to sleep, put Adam to sleep and took his rib, but he did not allow Adam to see any of the process for how his wife was made. There is not even a hint that he saw his own rib before it was taken away to be transformed into woman. But God brought her to Adam fully formed, complete as a woman, complete as his wife. That's deep there. In like manner, the woman did not even exist when her husband was created. And her first sight of her husband was of him being fully formed, a complete man, a complete, complete as her husband. That is the uniqueness of men and women. And only God truly knows the intricate details of how each of us were formed and created. So, brothers and sisters, there's no need to try to figure her out. Sisters, no need to try to figure her out. Just be happy the Lord put you together. That's good enough. Now, the rib taken from Adam has purpose, very specific purpose. Adam was not born of woman, for there was no, man, no woman before Adam. But the woman was born of Adam. And if you think about this, I mean, this could be considered the first surgery performed. <laughs> the first delivery performed was on the man. And none after that. The rib taken from the side of Adam was the type and shadow of what was to come. As the bride of Adam came from his side, so would the bride of Christ usher from the side of Jesus. And think about the rib and think about the piercing of the side of Jesus. The ark having a single point of entry for those to be saved from the judgment to come. There was only one door they could go in. There was not some back door. There wasn't a side door. There wasn't any. There was one way to get saved. The ark represented one way to eternity in heaven. And they had no, no other way but to go through the water. For there is no other way or path or journey that leads to heaven. St. John chapter 10, verse 1. Verily, verily I say unto you, 
He that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. Now, Son of Man with capital S, uh, we know it's not a name. This is a title just like Father with capital F is a title and it's not a name. The first and only scripture in the Old Testament used in the title Son of Man with capital S is found in the prophet da Daniel. And this is in chapter 7, verse 13 through 14. I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. And there was given him dominion and glory and kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. And this was prophecy about God manifesting himself in flesh to save and redeem his people with an everlasting salvation. We see the same in the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 5, verses 6 through 9. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the twenty and four elders fell down before the lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by the blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. While we're on the topic of Son of Man, let's address a real common question. Why does the, paper, why does the Bible say Son of Man is sitting or standing on the right hand of God? And this is one we've heard for, for quite a few years, uh, and it's come up this, this year as well. So we'll discuss a couple of things, then we'll answer this question. To begin, there are no scriptures that say Son of God is sitting or standing on the right hand of God. Uh, for this would be impossible, and we're going to explain why here shortly. But we only see it said for Son of Man sitting or standing on the right hand of God. God is a spirit. A spirit doesn't have flesh and bones. So a spirit doesn't have what? A physical right hand or left hand. We all understand that. Uh, and that's St. Luke chapter 24, verse 39. Behold my hands and my feet that is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones as you see me have. There are also references to the enemy standing at the right hand. Psalms chapter 109, verse 4 through 6. For my love, they are my adversaries, but I give myself unto prayer. And they have rewarded me evil for good and hatred for my love. Set thou a wicked man over him and let Satan stand at his right hand. In Zechariah chapter 3, verse 1, And he shewed me Joshua the priest, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. This portrayal, uh, and there's a lot of typos in your documents, so just forgive me, pray for me, love me, don't kick me out of the church. Um, there's just a lot of typos, I'm sorry. The portrayal was of the enemy standing at the very place of power and authority that the men of the church should be standing at to hold up the hands of the men of God. And yes, this was said men of God, plural, 
purposely for all men of God, the full fivefold ministry should be held up continually, lest the enemy get any stronghold at all. Even the prophet Moses' hands were held up by godly men, for he could not bear it upon his own. These men that held up the ministry are, are the right hand of the ministry, men of strength, might, and perseverance. We find in the book of Acts some understanding, Acts chapter 7, verse 55 through 56. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. We also find in the Old Testament this same glory of light that shines. And we do not have, and do we not have that which was prophetic today without pouring of the Holy Ghost? Psalms chapter 31, verse 16. Make thy face to shine upon thy servants. Save me for thy mercy's sake. Psalms chapter 67, verse 1 through 2. God, be merciful unto us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us. Selah, that thy way may be known upon the earth, thy saving health among all nations. In Psalms chapter 80, this is said three times in verse 3, 7, and 19. Turn us again, O God, and cause thy face to shine, and we shall be saved. In Daniel chapter 9, verse 17, Now therefore, O our God, hear the prayer of thy servant and his supplications, and cause thy face to shine upon the san thy sanctuary that is desolate for the Lord's sake. Again and again and again about the face of God shining. And the angel whose countenance was like lightning, which is a representation of God, St. Matthew chapter 28, verse 2 through 3. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. Moses, who sat at the feet of Jesus so long that what happened? His face shone, the glory of sitting in the presence of God. Exodus chapter 34, verse 29 through 30. And it came to pass when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tables of testimony in Moses' hands, when he came down from the mount, that Moses wist not that the skin of his face shone while he talked with him. And when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come nigh him. Saul, who is now Paul, also saw this, this great light, and it was so bright that he fell to the earth. So marvelous. Acts chapter 9, verse 3 through 6. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus. And if you study this out, this is a good side study if you ever want to take this. That path he was on going to Damascus has significance at that time and that season. And it's a real good study through history of the Bible. And he says, and suddenly there shined round about him light from heaven. And he fell to the earth. And heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Lord, who art thou? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise, and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. So let's define right hand. Right hand in the Greek and the Hebrew have several meanings. Uh, so just a few to be physically right, to be firm, the stronger, more dexterous, the right side. In the Webster Dictionary, it's the hand on the right side. It's an indispensable person. 
And also it means to be on the right side as in what is right as opposed to what is wrong. Okay. I was hoping someone would get that because it's pretty much his common sense. So when we read about right hand in revelation to God, this is his power and strength and might. Even as we see in Exodus chapter 15, verse 6, thy right hand, O Lord, is become glorious in power. Thy right hand, O Lord, hath dashed in pieces the enemy. So this isn't a physical right hand when it says Jesus on the right hand of God or the right hand of God did this or that. It's not a hand like you and I have because he's not a man. This is power and might, authority, strength, and that's what this is talking about. So earlier in the series, we talked about the seven spirits of God from Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2. The spirit of might from that text flows in perfect unity with the right hand of God. Might in the Hebrew means force, valor, victory, might, mighty act, mighty power, power and strength. And it just perfect harmony. So thinking about each of these scriptures and definitions, what did Stephen see? Stephen saw Jesus and only Jesus with an immaculate light, more glorious than that of the sun, radiating from all about him. That's what he saw. St. John saw the same glory as it is written in Revelation chapter 1, verse 16 through 18. And he had in his right hand seven stars. And out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, and he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, amen, and have the keys of hell and of death. So would you like to hear a few notes about right hand in the end time? You're a captive audience, so here we go. Yeah. <laughs> Revelation chapter 13, verse 16 through 18. And he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads, that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him that understandeth count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. And his number is 600, threescore and six. The book of Revelation is the 66th book of the Bible. The number of the beast is where? Verse 18, which is 6 plus 6 plus 6. Kind of interesting, isn't it? So some teach that the mark will be a visible mark on the hand or the forehead. But the word of God says it will be in the right hand or in the forehead. Uh, and I did quite a bit of study on this. Can't find any scripture anywhere in the Bible that says anything about a visible mark that can be seen by people meaning externally on your skin. Uh, so if you find something, send me a text. Say, here it is, text. Here it is. But I, I have done extensive, and I cannot even find anywhere in the Bible where it is an external mark on the body. The word mark, in part, means scratch or etching, a stamp as in a badge of servitude. This denotes a change from that which is naturally from God. Now, we know the right hand often means power and might, as in the examples for the right hand of God. But we also see now the forehead, which leads to the question, what is the significance of the forehead? Does anyone know what's up here? Your brain. Your frontal lobe is where it, what's up here. So the frontal lobe encompasses a wide variety of our day-to-day -day lives, our intelligence, 
our foresight, our planning, our mood. Anyone ever had issue with mood? Okay. Our motor activity. And if in the case of dominant hemisphere, even speech production. That's a lot of stuff. Okay. So literally to take the mark of the beast is to surrender one's power and authority and all they are to the beast. And this can be done without the person ever bowing down to the ground. For to give up one's power is a sign of worship and servitude. Here's some simple definitions with examples. Some will take the mark willingly, and these are those deceived to believe a lie, and the apostate will as well, for they are already forever lost. And a good example of this in history can go back to the time of Hitler. There were those who passionately followed him, even declaring he was from God, and they followed him with no questions or hesitations or reservations. They were sold out to the leader of their government, if you will, that he knew best, and they were just going to do what he said, blindly, blindly following. Okay, When he died, they poured out tears for him, but they cared not for the millions his reign of tyranny brutally murdered. So will it be for those who will willingly take the mark? And then there's going to be those who take the mark for fear of life or loved ones. And a good example of this can go right back to the time of Hitler again for the things they saw and the things they heard these are those who gave in for fear of their own lives or their children or their loved ones. Some gave in for what they saw done to their neighbors and strangers. Some for prestige to keep their names and titles and positions. And some for self-preservation and some for monetary reasons. Some to not be imprisoned and be afflicted and some to avoid physical and mental suffrage. People gave in to that time of Hitler for a lot of reasons. A lot of reasons, and in the end time, there will be a host of people that will give in, some willingly and some for ulterior motives, different reasons. When a people begin to mandate, mandate anything that eradicates the freedom of choice for what is placed inside their own bodies, then the people of God should stop and inquire of the Lord to see what God says. We have seen a time when without a mask or injection, you cannot buy or sell in places. A time when people were afraid to go to church. Anyone seen that? For some, this was their scapegoat, their excuse to do what they wanted, for they became their own lowercase g gods. And today, some jobs will not let you work without an injection. Lord knows that the new craze is a precursor to the mark but it is unmistakably give up one's right of choice for fear. Now, with many through the years expressing concern about being deceived or unwittingly taking the mark in the right hand or the forehead, here's hope and truth from God. St. Matthew chapter 24, verse 21 through 24, For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved, but for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. Then, if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not. For there shall arise false Christ and false prophets, and they shall shew great signs and wonders, insomuch that, if it were possible, they should deceive the very elect. Brothers and sisters, it is impossible for any who are full of the Holy Ghost and fire to be deceived to take the mark. It just isn't possible. 
And that's something that needs to leave the thought process of the church. If we stay and do our duty, which is to live a life of perpetual repentance and to stay full of the Holy Ghost, full of oil, how in the world can we see anything but Jesus? He's, our eyes are staying on the prize and we're not distracted. Our issue is if we don't, if we're not at that place of repentance and full of the Holy Ghost, things can come in that can divide and dilute our thoughts and motives. And that's the diligence of the saints so that we can make our calling election sure. That makes sense? Let's uh, continue with Son of Man. St. Matthew chapter 11, verse 11. Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of woman, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist, notwithstanding he that is least in the kingdom is greater than he. So a question may be asked, how is it that Jesus is God Almighty, but he is the least in the kingdom of heaven? So let's take the first part of the text. Among them that are born of woman, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. While Jesus was born of Mary, it was not in the natural as with the husband and wife, for Joseph was not the father. This is why he's, he's at that level. Jesus was not born of a woman. There was no daddy in the natural. Does that make sense? Okay. So the next, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven, this speaks to several things. One, number one, the fulfillment of righteousness from the foundation of the world. And we've covered several of these through this series, and we're going to cover several more. Also, the tempting of man for Jesus, that Jesus would endure for mankind often seek, seek to make their own name and voice heard. This is why Jesus' own brethren tempted him with their very own faults. St. Mark chapter 7, verse 4. For there is no man that doeth anything in secret but he himself seeketh to be known openly. If thou do these things, shew thyself to the world. He also did this for humility and humbleness. As with all things, the Lord gives us an example of how we should carry ourselves as it is written, St. Luke chapter 14, verse 11, whosoever exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. This model of how Jesus walked when he came to the earth was for us an example of how we should handle ourselves. Son of man is God Almighty, clothed in flesh, but why? To be a sacrifice for the sins of the world. We spoke of the Old Testament that, there was, that the sins were only pushed back a year to year and never done away. There was always a remembrance of the past sins. When God came in flesh, it was to provide a clean slate for us, and no man, whether born of woman or son of man, could do this. And there was no beast of the field that could do this to forever crush all darkness, to forever eradicate all sin and remove it as far as the east is from the west. But only God could do this. This is the very reason Abel was slain by Cain, the works of the enemy to try to stop the seed that would come and would bruise his head. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. This is why we see in Genesis chapter 5, 6, 7, I'm sorry, 6, 7, 8, that God judges and floods the world for their wickedness. But the seed of the enemy was already in the heart of one of Noah's children. And that seed flows to a man named Nimrod, 
who was the very man who created many wicked cities. And it was this man at the Tower of Babel to try and stop the seed. But none could stop the will and purpose of God then, and none can stop the will and purpose of God now. Son of Man, uppercase S, is our physical sacrifice for sin. Come in the flesh that we might live and not die. This is the very reason we see in Revelation of the Lamb bringing, being the only one worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof. Revelation chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. And I saw on the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the back side, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming, proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven, nor in earth, nor under the earth was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not. Behold the lion. Notice that lion is capital L of the tribe of Judah. And the root, that root is capital R again of David. And root there means father. That's what the definition there is. Hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld and lo in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain having seven horns and seven eyes which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth and he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat on the throne. This all comes to why there's a blood sacrifice. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22 and 23, which we, we talked about before. Almost all things are by the law purged by blood, and without shedding of blood is no remission. It was therefore necess necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifice than these. Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11, for the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. All of which lead to the very thing that was mentioned several times in this series. Each of these was to fulfill all righteousness. There was no happenstance, not one scripture, not one uh, jot, not one tittle. Everything had a perfect meaning and purpose and it was to fulfill all righteousness and so many other scriptures outline these deeper and deeper and if you'd like that very thing a deeper knowledge then ask God who gives liberally to those who seek him with a pure heart let's move forward to why is Jesus called the son of God capital S if he alone is God almighty as was son of man so is capital S and son of God this is not a name but this is a title the first and only time the exact phrase son of God is said in the Old Testament can also be found in talking about the uppercase S in the prophet Daniel. And this is son of God. And it's said 48 times in the Bible with a capital S. Each one of these were referring to Jesus. Daniel chapter 3 verse 25. He answered and said, lo, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire and they have no hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the son of God. The very first time a variation of the phrase is said can be found in Genesis chapter 6, and this is sons of God, lowercase s and plural s. And the sons of God is said 11 times in the Bible. And I'm going to read through this, and I know we've only got about 10 minutes, so I think I've got enough time. 
and it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born unto them that the sons of God, this is the men of the church, saw the daughters of men, this is the women of the world, that they were fair. And they took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be a hundred and twenty years. There were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that. Giants in the Hebrew means a feller, a bully, or tyrant. These were pretty bad men. When the sons of God came in under the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, the same became mighty men, which were of old, men of renown. These men were worse than the giants, and the world held them as being some great thing. And the, there's a deepness of that whole study, if you ever study that out, of Genesis chapter 6, that whole section. Um, but it's, it's pretty graphic how bad they were. And God sa- saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Now, how bad these men were was just, like I said, far too graphic. They were the worst of the worst of the worst of their day, if that says anything. Now, the warning of God uh, for the sons of God, which is the men of the church, taking daughters of men, the women outside of faith, is that we cannot mix light and darkness. And um, saints should date and marry saints equally yoked lest your house be divided and you'll fight spirits as long as your communion lasts and your children will suffer. This entire series is about relationship. So it should be no surprise that that disciple keeps meddling in your personal business and relationships, okay? It is wise to pray and fast before ever even dating someone. To inquire of the Lord if they are the one. There is no profit in testing many waters. And dating is not an all-you-can-eat buffet. The danger of dating around is in being defiled before the Lord and your consecration. And in marriage, those things can seep in at times, bringing hurt and shame and distrust that didn't have to come. It is better to stay single. Oh, Brother Tex, don't even say it. <laughs> It is better to stay single all the days of one's life, to be single-focused to God, single in purpose and destiny with no distractions. But if any can't withhold, then it's far better to marry than to burn for eternity. And everyone say amen. Amen. I didn't think I'd get an amen on the first part, but I knew the second. So, And last, before we move forward, it is better for both man and woman to spend 40 days in real prayer and fasting before marriage. What does it hurt to invest in your marriage ahead of time for it to be sanctified under God? What does it hurt to make a commitment to your marriage before you ever make a commitment? Meddling, meddling, meddling. My desire is that your relationship with God would flourish as well as your relationships in the natural, in life. That's truly 
my heartbeat. Let's continue with upper and lowercase son of God. Adam is called the lowercase son of God in St. Luke chapter 3, verse 38, uh, which was the son of Enos, which was the son of Seth, which was the son of Adam, which was the son of God. But then we see uppercase son of God, uh, this as well has a distinct, uh, a distinct meaning between upper lowercase. Earlier it was mentioned that there are no scriptures that say son of God is sitting or standing on the right hand of God and that we, this would be impossible and we'll bring some clarity to this. Well, here we go. Son of God is the redemptive power of God. This is the Holy Ghost and fire, the outpouring of God. No one's dancing in the Holy Ghost, um, but that's okay. This is why we see in St. John chapter 1, verse 45 through 41, or 51, Philip findeth Nathanael and saith unto him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said, said, unto, said unto him, there, Can there be any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip saith unto him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and saith of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. Nathanael said unto him, Whence knowest thou me? Simply meaning, have we met? Have we been formally introduced? Jesus answered and said unto him, Before that Philip called thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. Nathanael answered and said unto him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God, thou art the King of Israel. Jesus answered and said unto him, Because I said unto thee, I saw thee under the fig tree. Believest thou? Thou shalt see greater things than these. And he said, He saith unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Hereafter ye shall see the heavens open, and the angels of the God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. When Jesus said, Behold an Israelite indeed, in whom is no God, this meant he was a man without sin, without any faults, and what would it be for God to declare that of any here today, right now? You know, in humanity, vanity, man thinks things of himself. You know, man, woman, maybe they're at that place. You know, they've arrived. But when God says it, we know it's a sure thing. It's one thing for a person to make the declaration about themselves, or one brother to go to another brother and to give that accolade of how you know, you're great, you're amazing, you're this and that, you know, those accolades of men, the voice of man. But there's something altogether different when it comes from the voice of God. And it's kind of like when, when God said, you know, called David a friend. We have a song we used to sing, you know, I'm a friend of God, and, you know, we like that song, but there's a whole new meaning when God says, well, you're, Luke, you're my friend. It's, it's the whole context and meaning is so different. So this very scripture of God Almighty saying that uh, Nathaniel was a man with no guile had overwhelming significant meaning because it wasn't coming from humanity. Um, the Bible is silent for what was Nathaniel doing or saying under the fig tree. But whatever it was, it must have been something very intimate and personal between him and God. For his reaction was so clear when Jesus spoke that Nathaniel made three specific and purposeful statements. Nathaniel said, Rabbi. 
meaning Jesus, you are my master. He had never, he'd never met him in the natural before. And instantly, then he says, thou art the son of God, meaning Jesus is God manifest in the flesh, the prophesied Messiah come to save his people. And then he says, thou art the king of Israel, meaning Jesus is God Almighty, the one and only creator and Lord and Savior of all that is. This is a great example of the deepness of what the Lord God and what the word says to us each time. We see scripture sometimes and we see in part and we understand in part. But when we start digging in that in prayer and study and devotion, God just opens up a plethora of deeper understanding. Was this okay? Okay. Next week when we meet, we uh, are going to be talking about sin, repentance, and remission. And then we're going to dive into the plan of salvation. Um, so be in prayer for next Wednesday because what the Lord well, I don't have any of my notes. I'm going to be rewriting and praying and rewriting them. What the Lord had given me to say was pretty emotional for next week um, because it was the deepness of sin and the effects of sin on our lives. So just uh, be in prayer for next week. Uh, love you guys. Let's pray and uh, we'll let you guys go. Lord, we thank you for this time of fellowship, time that we might have some breaking of the bread and that we might have the communion. And I pray let every word and, and meaning and interpretation all the things god that you provided let it be sown lord on good ground that it may grow and flourish let it be sown upon the tables of the heart that it might flourish for your glory and your namesake and lord in all things we'll be careful to give you glory and all things we'll be careful to give you praise and honor lord we surrender at this altar everything we are and everything we have that you would be just that, the Lord of glory in our lives, that we, God, would fully surrender all we have. Lord, I ask you on behalf of these people that you would cover every one of them in your blood as they get ready to leave and go home or go eat or work or whatever they're doing. I just pray that you would let your angel go with them, shield them and protect them and defend them. Let your hand be pressed upon them. Let your hand guide them and lead them after the oracles of your precious word. Let their ears, God, be open to the still small voice of God. Let their heart be inclined to the deep things of God. I ask you, Lord, for a great and a marvelous work. Protect these people. Defend them and shield them in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Everyone say in Jesus' name. Jesus. You're dismissed.